Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. And God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. absolute luxury we enjoy in America is hard to enjoy once you've seen our fellow man living in poverty, not knowing if they'll have a next meal or when they'll have a meal. What spiritual legacy would I like to leave? Only this, that we will remember the poor and do what we can to relieve their suffering. Welcome to another edition of the Q Podcast. I'm Gabe Lyons, and I hope you're having a great summer, a great week. And today we're just going to continue into what we like to do here at Q, and that is to stir up good thinking, good conversation, good learning by hearing the stories of people. Sometimes our talks are just straight up talks. You're learning a lot of content. You're hearing an expert on a subject. And then other talks like what you're about to hear are stories, stories of tragedy, stories of loss, stories of overcoming, of courage, of bravery in the face of enormous circumstances, and they're inspiring talks and inspiring people because all of us walk through pain. All of us go through unintended consequences of decisions that we've made. All of us are affected by the decisions of others and don't always feel like we're in control or put ourselves in the situation we're in, and yet we're called to respond. We're called to still lead. We're called to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Well, today, you're going to hear a talk, and and more than a talk, you're going to hear a story from Michael Chitwood, somebody who we've known for several years. He's an incredible leader, but I never knew this part of his story. I never understood where his great leadership came from. He's a man who just has a heart for the poor. He has a heart to serve those who are underprivileged, under-resourced. And I've always been amazed at how creatively he came up with a concept to actually do that. Now, Michael, he's the kind of person that Some of you will relate to a lot, and others like me don't know how to relate to it. He's a guy who's ran multiple marathons. He's actually run the South African, they call it the ultra marathon, 56 miles. And he's also done seven full Ironman triathlons. So if you're an athlete, if you're somebody into sports, if you're into endurance, then Michael Chitwood is somebody you can just respect from those basis stats. But I think for our purpose today, you're going to hear a story about how he realized that from the pain in his own story, God was actually calling him to something more that was going to utilize his passions, his love for endurance, athleticism, and combine it all in a way that he could help people in the world. So no matter where you're at, I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're inspired when you hear how one man was confronted with tragedy and how he turned that towards something that's not only honoring God, but it's literally changing the world. He's currently the executive director of World Vision's church engagement team, and he's the founder of Team World Vision, the run, walk, ride fundraising program that they use. But you're going to actually hear the origination of how that ever came to be. So let's just listen in, sit back and enjoy this story. Well, if I can be just real authentic with you for a minute, it's been a pretty tough week for me this week. It was nine years ago this past Sunday that my brother David died alone in my mom's basement. 
he died from alcoholism, obesity, and depression. But I believe the real cause of his death is the fact that there were not enough Jesus followers willing to enter into his pain in an authentic and consistent way. And to be honest, I include myself in that group of people. I want to talk to you today about pain. I know it's not a fun subject, but I truly believe that how we respond to the pain of others is perhaps the most important task in front of us if we intend to influence our culture. We are all hardwired to avoid pain at all costs. We avoid our own pain and we avoid the pain of others. The ability to see the potential for pain in any given situation is a safeguard for us. It helps us to avoid pain if and when it can be avoided. But the truth is, pain is inevitable. It is unavoidable. Now, myself, I actually was able to avoid pain for the first 25 years of my life. It was pretty much pain-free. I grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is about as much in a bubble as you can get. It was a safe place to grow up. I had two older brothers, Dan and Dave, that were my heroes, two parents that loved me, went to an incredible school, had lots of friends, great church family. To be honest, life was pretty easy for me. In my family, there were two career options. You could be a preacher or a teacher, so I chose to be a teacher. And right out of college, I became a fifth grade teacher in a school in Kankakee, Illinois, very different from the one I grew up in, where about 98% of the kids came from low-income families. That was my first time in life really witnessing poverty firsthand and it was after my second year teaching that my dad invited me to go to haiti with him to train some teachers there i'll never forget the first two words i learned in haitian creole i'm hungry i'm hungry Young kids would run alongside the cars we were in and they'd say those words i'm hungry i'm hungry now as a teacher i had seen Poverty firsthand. The first homeless person I met in my entire life was a 10-year-old little girl in the class that I taught. But I'd never seen anything like this. Kids with no food to eat, no safe water to drink, and often no shelter over their heads. It wrecked me. In fact, I came back from Haiti with an application to be a teacher there. But I was getting married the next summer, and everyone told me that moving to Haiti as newlyweds was a terrible idea, that it just wasn't safe. So despite a deep desire to do something to help those kids, I froze. I chickened out and I let fear get the best of me. And instead, I took a full-time job doing youth ministry with Youth for Christ in Champaign, Illinois. And my years at Youth for Christ were amazing, but I knew I had ignored a whisper from God to do something to serve the poor. Well, it was during my first year of ministry that I experienced my first real up-close experience with pain. My dad went in for what was supposed to be a routine shoulder surgery. Something happened in post-op and he slipped into a coma and he died three days later on Mother's Day. It absolutely wrecked me. It shattered my faith. Here I was in full-time ministry, my first year of marriage, 25 years old, and I was struggling to even talk to God. Well, it's two years after losing my dad, almost to the day that I got a phone call that changed my life. It was my buddy Mark Smith and he was calling to tell me he was going to run the Chicago Marathon and wanted to know if I would come watch him run. Notice Mark did not ask me to run the marathon with him. At the time, I weighed 265 pounds, and I couldn't run around the block if someone was chasing me. And, by the way, I absolutely hated running. But I heard a whisper that I believe was the Holy Spirit, and it was just two simple words. Do this. So despite the fact that I'd never run a 5K and I hated running, I signed up to run the Chicago Marathon. 
I gotta be honest, I was pretty scared out of my mind. I didn't know how far a marathon was when I signed up, by the way. (laughs) Over the next six months, I trained very slowly. I was so slow, my friends would say, hey, chew it, I thought you were training to run that marathon. I'd say, I am training to run the marathon, thanks for asking. They'd say, oh, I keep seeing you walking all over town all the time. I might have been slow, but something amazing happened in my life out on those long, slow runs. I started talking to God again. And he began to heal my heart and restore my faith. Sometimes, to be honest, I was just yelling at him. I was angry and hurt and frustrated. I figured he could probably take it. Sometimes I would just pull over the side of the road and start weeping. And sometimes I was just listening. And then on October 5th, 2003, I towed the starting line of my first race ever, the Chicago Marathon. I remember clear as day walking to the starting line. I could not believe how many people were there. A million spectators packed into downtown Chicago. All the streets shut down, music blasting, and 35,000 people lining up to run 26.2 miles. I had just one problem. My buddy Mark and I had not discussed a race strategy. He had trained to run nine minutes per mile, and I had trained just to finish before they closed it down. (laughs) So we decided to split the difference, and as you can imagine, that didn't go so well for me. The truth is, that race was harder than I could have imagined. It was painful, it was terrible, I walked most of it, and I barely finished. But it absolutely changed my life, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And I decided that day I would do a race like that every year for the rest of my life. So when I heard about the Ironman Triathlon, I knew I had to do it. If you don't know what the Ironman is, it's a 2.4-mile open water swim, followed by 112 miles on a bike. And then if you can still stand up, you tie up your shoes and you run a marathon. When I signed up, I didn't own a bike and I didn't know how to swim. I know. But I had seen what fear can do to you. Fear kept me from moving to Haiti. Fear almost made me quit training for my first marathon. In fact, I've come to believe that almost every amazing thing that God has for us in this life is on the other side of fear. And you have to step through fear to get to it. Well, one day I was alone on a five-hour bike ride training in the cornfields of East Central Illinois when I had what I can only describe as a conversation with God. And it went something like this. Hey, Michael, you could do these races and help those kids, kids like the ones you met in Haiti. And my mind started racing, and I remembered seeing all these charities at these races, but I couldn't remember seeing a single charity that was raising money to fight issues of global poverty. And I knew immediately that this was what God was calling me to do. Not just to raise money myself, but that I would get to invite thousands of others to join me. And through the grace of God, I found myself meeting with some leaders from World Vision and sharing this vision that God had given me. And after about four months and sharing with them this, what I would try to pass off as a proposal for this idea, they gave me a shot. And I became the first team World Vision staff person. That first year, we had just 100 runners take on the Chicago Marathon. But since starting Team World Vision, we've helped 40,000 people cross finish lines and raised $40 million so that children and communities in Africa can have clean water. I have had a front row seat to see God change lives here through running and I've traveled to Africa 15 times to see the incredible life-changing work we're raising money for. 
But I've had some more heartbreaks along the way. When my dad died, one of the toughest realizations I had was that I was only 25 years old the first time I experienced pain. I realized that the longer I live, the more pain and heartache I would have to face, that there would be more to come. And it was just eight years after my dad died that we lost my brother David. Now, David had already been battling alcoholism and obesity, but the loss of my dad just beat him down and beat him down until he ended up spending most of his days alone in my mom's basement where alcoholism, depression, and his battle with weight finally took his life. He was 37 years old when he died. And he left behind a wife and four young kids. And then just as I was catching my breath and getting back up on my feet, we lost my brother Dan. No real explanation. He went upstairs to get ready for his daughter's eighth grade basketball game, and he never came down. Dan was a pastor. He was a father. He also left behind a wife and four young kids. And as if losing my dad wasn't enough, losing two of her three sons absolutely broke my mom's heart, and it literally crushed my spirit. A few months after Dan died, I came across a Bible verse that has completely rocked my worldview. It's Psalm 34, 18, and it's just one sentence. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. I've learned the hard way that there is more pain for me in this life than I ever imagined possible. But here's the deal with pain. Either you've already been through a painful experience like this, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Or maybe you are in the midst of a painful experience in your life right now, or you will be headed into one at some point. Pain is inevitable. Now, maybe your pain isn't the loss of a loved one. Maybe it was a divorce in your family, a loss of a job, a struggle with infertility or depression or addiction. You felt this pain and been disillusioned in your faith. Like me, you've been angry or frustrated with God when things went terribly wrong, but God does not promise us that we are exempt from pain. Look at our heroes in the Bible. Their spiritual journeys were forged through times of pain and heartache and suffering, and so are yours and mine. It is a fact that this life holds pain for you, the likes of which you cannot understand and will often find unbearable. And if you haven't felt that kind of pain yet, it's only fair to warn you, it will come. What does Psalm 34, 18 have to say to me when I'm facing pain? The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. It says, when I am brokenhearted, the Lord is close to me, even when it doesn't feel like he is. And when my spirit has been crushed, he will rescue me. But you know, it's so easy to get caught up in our own pain, we can forget that there are other hurting people in the world. When I was a kid, if I wasn't getting my way, I would say to my parents, that's just not fair. And they'd lightheartedly tell me, well, Michael, life's just not fair. You know, they were joking, but there's a lot of truth in that statement, isn't there? Life isn't fair. Well, after losing my dad, I thought to myself so many times, God... This isn't fair. And then one day I was standing in my mom's kitchen and I said it out loud to my mom. My mom gently reminded me of others in this world who've truly experienced the unfairness of this life. She reminded me that there are kids that are going to die today because they don't have enough food to eat or safe water to drink. She reminded me of refugees who are fleeing their homes in search of safety and they're not likely going to find any. 
She reminded me that there are more people trapped in slavery today than at any point in human history. That there are children that are fighting wars and there are 10 and 11 year old girls being forced into marriages with grown men. Then I thought of this little girl in Kenya named Maureen. Maureen is the little girl my wife and I sponsor through World Vision. She was just three years old the first time I met her. Her family had no access to clean water. The school she went to was a wooden shack. They had no access to health care. And half the kids in her community died before age five. Maureen has fears and worries and pain, the likes of which I'll never have to know. Yes, I've faced more pain in my life than I ever imagined possible. But I've also seen others living in conditions that are unspeakable. What does Psalm 34:18 say to them? The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. It says, when others are brokenhearted, the Lord is close to them. Even when it doesn't feel like he is. And when their spirits are crushed, he can rescue them. A couple of years before my dad died, Dan gave him a journal called A Father's Legacy. And on one of the last pages, my dad answered this epic question. What is the spiritual legacy you want to leave for others? Here's his response, written on his way home from an amputee camp in Sierra Leone, Africa, where victims of the Civil War were being fitted with makeshift prosthetic limbs made out of old truck tires and pipes. Several pages in this book were written on my Sierra Leone trip. This is my last one on the way home. As I sit here in a first-class seat and think back of the people on the streets of Freetown, the poverty now that I've seen in Haiti, Nicaragua, and Freetown has forever changed my life. The absolute luxury we enjoy in America is hard to enjoy once you've seen our fellow man living in poverty, not knowing if they'll have a next meal or when they'll have a meal. What spiritual legacy would I like to leave? Only this, that we will remember the poor and do what we can to relieve their suffering. Folks, a lot of the time there is very little we can do about our own pain. But there is almost always something we can do to help relieve the pain of others. It's tough though, isn't it? It's so hard to be around hurting people. Trying to walk with a friend who's just found out their three-year-old daughter was diagnosed with cancer and not knowing what to say or how to help them. Sitting with your brother who's battling addiction and watching him hurt his family over and over again as he breaks promise after promise to change. Or trying to build a relationship with a woman who's battling homelessness and exposing yourself to her hurt and pain and learning her story and trying to understand how in the world she's wound up where she is. It's hard to be around hurting people. It's easier to keep our distance. It's easier to hang out with people who are not going through the most painful experiences of their lives. And you know what? It can be overwhelming to think about tackling massive issues like mass incarceration, racial injustice, the global water crisis, or human trafficking. But if we truly want to be close to God, we need to go where he is. And if God is close to the brokenhearted, you and I are called to be close to the brokenhearted. And we cannot follow Jesus and remain in our safe bubbles, sheltered from the pain of the world. But here's the amazing thing about it. When you meet people in those broken places, whether it's the woman you're serving a meal to at a homeless shelter or spending time with a child like Maureen, 
in Kenya. You are not simply being Jesus to them. You are meeting Jesus in them. My brother David died alone in a basement feeling hopeless. And I've often wondered how his life might have been different if there had been more people willing to enter into his pain and show him the relentless love of Jesus over and over again. Or if I had been willing to go there with him more often. Right now, folks, you have friends and family members and colleagues and classmates and neighbors who are going through things you can't even wrap your heads around. And we have brothers and sisters around the world who are facing brokenness beyond our most terrible nightmares and pain we cannot begin to comprehend. And our tendency is to protect our own comfort, safety, and privilege. To keep our distance from the pain of others and the hurt that exists in this world. But God is calling us to break free from the trap of individualism and self-preservation and step into the pain of others. It is the only chance we have to change this world. And here's the amazing thing about it. How you respond to the pain of others may change the life of one person. Or God could give you a vision that will end up changing the lives of millions of people. But I can promise you this. If you will take this challenge seriously and follow Jesus and step into the pain in this world, it will absolutely change your life. Thank you so much. What an amazing story. What an incredible thing to hear of the circumstances somebody's been through and how God's turned that for good. And to just challenge all of us, I took away this quote. He said, I've come to believe that almost everything that God has for us is on the other side of fear. And you have to step to the other side of fear to get to it. How poignant is that for all of us to understand that we have to walk through the fear. And I know in our world today, in our culture, for a lot of people, fear is driving so much. And we can just know that fear is not from God. Fear is actually from the enemy. And that faith is the opposite of fear. And that's how we walk forward no matter what circumstances we're confronted with. And I think what we find in in his story is, and he said this too, he talked about how it's easy for us to get caught up in our own pain and we forget about everybody else's pain. But what a cool reminder to us that when we actually focus on helping others' pain, it does relieve our own pain. It's this principle that we see throughout Scripture, throughout the life story of human beings who do amazing things, is that when they put their energy into serving and helping others, it actually alleviates a lot of the self-focused meism that's happening in our world today where we focus so much on ourselves. We're looking so much to our internals and trying to figure out who we are and what will bring us pleasure that we actually dismiss the fact that we only will experience this when we're partnering with God to do what he cares about and what he loves most. In addition to hearing Michael's story, you heard him reference Team World Vision. Well, World Vision, they're an incredible partner of ours. Every year we're doing projects together. We're trying to help leaders not only all over the world, but here in the United States, really understand how we can be effective and we can leverage the resources that we have in the U.S. to help benefit those who really have far less opportunity. And so Team World Vision is one way that happens. But the other thing we've partnered on this year I want to tell you about, I want to invite you to be a part of this with us, is something called the Matthew 25 Challenge. And this is one of those ideas that as they were creating this, we were part of that. We were kind of in the room with them as they were thinking through what to do to help Americans mostly who don't always understand what the poor are going through or what their experience is like 
to actually live into that and to commit one week where they would really experience what life is like for many in the world who are poor and extremely poor and don't have access to the same types of food, water, and resources. And so over the course of that one week, people in your church, if you're a church leader, if you're a business leader, you can invite your family to do it. You can invite a group of people to do it, maybe a small group. And what takes place is over the course of that week, you start to fast different things. You give up things every day of the week that actually help you understand what it might be like to be poor. So instead of sleeping in your bed one night, you actually sleep on the floor or one day deciding to take a fast from your lunch so that you experience what it's like to actually go hungry. Or on another day, it's, it's wearing the same clothes for a 24 hour period so that you understand what it's like not to just take off your dirty clothes and put on some new ones, but you, you start to empathize. And especially for our kids growing up in American life, these are some of the easiest ways that we can help them to see and feel and experience what the life of many and poorer countries are dealing with. And in the course of that week, having opportunities and invitations on a daily basis to get to know the stories of people living this way and also understanding how as a community you can participate and partner with World Vision to actually help support them. So if you're interested in this, you can learn more by texting Q2018, so that's Q2018, to this number, 44888. So again, to the number 44888, text this message, Q2018, to get more information. And actually, the entire Q community, if you're listening to this, uh, I'd encourage you to do this now, do it this fall, but February 24th in 2019 to March 3rd, we're going to have a week where we're dedicating to do this as a community across the country, around the world. And so I hope you'll be a part of that. And I hope today that Michael Chitwood's story was one that inspired you and encouraged you to keep pursuing Past your fears. Don't let those hold you up from what God's called you to go after and to do. And also understand that the pain and loss that you might be going through right now in your life and you might feel like the world's ending, you might feel like you don't have a great purpose, that likely what's happening is God is just beginning to stir and renew and do something in your life that he has incredible plans for, not only to bless you, but to bless others. So let's walk in that truth. Let's declare that today. Until next week, let's continue to stay curious, think well, and advance good right where God's called us. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.